Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of Virtually Relevant. I'm Eric. I'm Josh. This is Kevin. Hey, I'm William. We're going to talk a little bit about the current VR news. Uh, Quest voice commands started showing up in the latest firmware. Has anybody had a chance to uh, kick the tires on that? I have not gotten to try it yet. Sadly, same here. I, uh, I have coworkers who have it have it turned on and they seem to be having pretty mixed results there's there's some things that are not keyed properly uh, since we're rolling our own apps we go to unknown sources constantly i don't know how many different ways i heard a coworker say unknown sources and get back fascinating different unrelated results so uh sounds like it could probably use a little refinement but is at least working did you try it with a funny accent <laughs> not really <laughs> <laughs> Um, so new version of the, the Oculus SDK for both, uh, unity and unreal. Uh, there's a lot of little things that are in there, but the thing that is notable is what's not in there, uh, which is any support for the Oculus go. Wow. But I think it's a good thing. Eric, you called this a while back, didn't you? Yeah. I, I said that they were probably going to just go ahead and end of life the go. And they did. Why do you think it's a good thing, Kevin? Because the the whole thing with this is, you know, something that we've always done at the at the meetup is, you know, when when people may have said that they've tried VR, but it was like the the mobile version or the Gear VR or something, it would it would always make us shudder a little bit because that's not exactly the best introduction representation of vr you know and kind of really to me it hindered more than helped so we always liked to get them into the best show of vr and you know the the go was great at its time for what it did no doubt yeah but now that technology has progressed and now that 6DOF over 3DOF has become such a big part, it's like I, I, I don't want 3DOF to be a yeah. thing anymore. I, I want it to be just 6DOF. Reach the point um, where 6DOF is, is sort of a basic requirement for something to be properly called vr i mean i i didn't think the go poisoned the well I exactly mean, at least yeah. you know smooth and uh you know not washed out and, and so on but uh it definitely didn't show it off to best effect um and really you know it's it, at this point if it's not sixed off it, it's silly to even be discussing it it's just not uh viable anymore so while i think that there will be plenty of room for 3 off immersive tech at least in the next decade or so when do you guys when do you guys individually feel 6 off will be the ubiquitous technology they're just you won't see 3 off anywhere i think it's right now like now is really the time to do it just just get it out <laughs> just just Wash our hands of it. No more. It's not needed it anymore. Never happened. 
just just pretend like that that's just a blip it was a fluke we're done it's like maybe a certain kind of 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 content but even even then consumption's really the kind of the only thing i could see three off being reasonable for at this point i think there's still room for three off ar um three off yeah like you know heads up display type oh, ar okay. i see what you're saying um you know i think there's still room for that yes, in the market I would like that'll still that. be a, a viable option but as far as three dot vr i'd give it i'd give it another year or two to die off completely because t- technology has a way of sticking around even beyond its support cycle um and there are still the diehards in the subreddits and things like that that you know are keeping gear vr alive in some respects right. so it's not going to go away anytime soon, but I think give it another year or two, and you really won't see any three DOF devices being brought to market. Um, you'll see six DOF as, as the new ubiquitous standard, in my opinion. I, I think I'd wager something probably ridiculous. I don't know what it would be, but I, I would wager that we will still see at least one company still producing and supporting a three DOF headset 2030. Is Mad Cats still around? I feel like they could probably. <laughs> uh, not really. Yeah. I just think for uh, for training and enter, like business side of things, there's so much use case for seated VR. And what's the why would you need to pay the extra cost, even if it's a couple cents at that point, to well, make a six off headset when you could sitting, make a three three off? If I lean one direction or lean the other, or you know, lean in. If the world moves with me, that is not a positive experience for me. So, and that's a huge thing for me as well. Yeah. So, so even if I'm not doing room scale, just you know, six off for comfort is is huge for most people. That's fair. That's. I, mean, it, I you know, I think there's you know there's sort of niche uses for subpar tech all over the place, and there there may well be spots where that's just where it is so cost conscious that the only way to make it feasible is to go three off over six. Then yeah, there's, I'm sure there's going to be headsets coming out of China forever. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing that really was in the goes favor was the fact that it was only $200. Um, yeah, of course. What, I mean, while, while we sit here and say, you know, the quest is a great price point for $500 is, is right around the sweet spot. And it seems to be where adoption really has a huge uptick. I, I feel like for the democratization, so to speak, of this tech, having an ultra economy version, um, still, I, 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 at least right now, for me personally, I feel like it still has tremendous use cases in the market. I think it's a little too soon to end the, the go, personally. I think, well, I would agree with you, except for the fact that I think more so now often i've been hearing the con the the like kevin you mentioned uh before at meetups our usual introduction was oh well i've tried vr before well what have you tried well i tried you know this google cardboard oh, God. VR. yeah now crazy. it's <laughs> now it's not that like more often than not now the answer is oh well my friend has a psvr yeah so i've tried vr and so now people are being introduced into six off now they're getting introduced into 180 degrees sixed off because yeah. the controllers don't work you know with occlusion behind you and the headset 
the headset works 360, but it's got some occlusion issues. So yeah. they're they're getting subpar sixed off, but they're being introduced at the sixed off level. So now I think the PSVR is actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting of burying the Go and and three off devices like it. There's still enterprise use cases that make sense, but in the consumer market, I don't think you're really going to see the Go be or or three off headsets be a viable be a very viable option because. When there's a $150, $200 headset that you can plug into your already existing PS4, PS5, mm-hmm. etc., it's just going to bury a 3 off headset every day. I'm, I'm super excited to see where PSVR goes. And I, I really yeah. hope Microsoft takes a Q or 20 yeah. and It'd decides nice. to make an <laughs> Xbox VR. It certainly it. doesn't sound like they're doing anything with it, though. It's they're not looking good they're actively them. pushing away from it. It's not looking good for them this generation. Nope. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm, there's so many patents coming out of uh, Sony that you know a next gen. You know the the current PlayStation VR will work with the PlayStation Five, but it's almost certain that at some point after that there will be a PlayStation VR two. And right, I mean just by market penetration of the consoles. Exactly. I mean that's going to put it within reach of a lot more people. Uh, so if nothing for else for just to upgrade the optics right like the lenses and the material science behind the the weight of the headset and things like that I, it's got to have incremental increase yeah yeah so the psvr succeeds at what desktop vr fails at which is psvr treats the headset and its accompanying technology as a peripheral, which is what VR is. This is peripheral technology, at least in the case of desktop class. You know, it is a peripheral and it should be treated as such. And that's been my sort of my my go-to thing for a while is, you know, Oculus and Index and all these others are, are trying to treat VR as though it is its own platform and it's independent of, you know, this and that but no it's a peripheral piece of hardware that you need something to run it on um at least when we're talking desktop class and so psvr playstation understands hey this is a peripheral this is something that is adding on and if we already have market penetration if we already know that you know 300 million people are going to buy playstation 5s we can sell it as a peripheral and people will use it but if if you you know how many people actually bought a gaming computer to play VR. Not that many. They already either had a gaming PC or, you know, some you know, something like that, or they got a quest. Could maybe upgrade. Right, could maybe upgrade. Or they got a quest. You know, the the there VR headsets are not selling computers. It's the other way around. Yeah, that's fair. And then the the idea of utilizing the existing marketplace for gaming consoles to exactly. push vr sales is is very smart i mean look at how many yep. samsung gear vrs moved into the marketplace because of that push right yeah, we right. we without samsung pushing gear vr and without the oculus go we really need honestly in the industry we need a psvr and probably we need an xbox vr as well we need that competition definitely the the leapfrogging each other and innovating on design and, and 
and support and all that stuff. And Microsoft has done a lot in Windows MR and HoloLens and things like that. They, they've learned a lot of lessons and I really hope that they soon are coming to market with something that is a solution for the gaming industry because it is a huge market and a lot of money to, to be had there. Well, speaking of the gaming market, uh, there was a big question when Half-Life Alex launched. Uh, you saw a huge uptick in VR connected headsets on Steam. And the, the question was, were they going to play Half-Life Alex, set it down and, and be done, in which case you see those numbers drop back off, or were they going to catch the bug and keep going with other products? And it seems like the latter is the case, that uh, four months after the launch of Half-Life Alex, uh, the VR share has been steady. So those people that jumped into it for Alex appear to have stayed. Right. And you have to remember, too, that the people who are jumping into Alex, I, I would wager 75 to 80% already had the machines necessary to run or could easily upgrade yeah. to those machines. They were not, you know, your console gamers who said, well, Half-Life Alex is coming out on PC, so I guess I got to buy a PC and, and VR headset. Right, right. No, they were they already had that platform. Yeah, so. this is true. And speaking of which, they came out with a new uh, poll the other day that shows that uh, the index has now surpassed uh, Oculus Rift uh, for usage on on Steam. Yep. Wow. The the so I did see and I saw Ben Lang of Road to VR posted that Oculus and Facebook own, I think, forty seven percent market share overall across both their headsets. Well. Yeah, both or all of headsets, because I assume there's still some DK2s in that count as well. So as far as market share um, out there, I think they said uh, the the graph that I saw he tweeted out said 47% Facebook slash Oculus. So, but index was really high up there right. uh, in terms of share. So while it, you know, that's not really surprising, um, they were the not first to market, but they were um, the first like well-known name, um, you know, as opposed to Vive. They were with, you know, with the DK1 and DK2, like they had a lot of lead time. So it's not un it's not surprising. The other thing that is really important is they're the only one in stores. Um, like I was at Best Buy earlier today and they, they have a Rift and a Quest and, you know, like they have those those little kiosks set there. So. But I have yet to, with the exception of, I think, Micro Center, I've yet to see Vives or Indexes in stores anywhere. Um, so certainly helps that you can go into a Walmart or a Best Buy and get an Oculus Rift. They're going to dominate the market for a while. Or a Micro Center. <laughs> yeah, Micro Center had them too. I mean, but they're the only ones I've actually seen a Vive in. Um, I haven't seen an Index there, but... Yeah, you can't get your hands on the index anyways. So uh, I know I think we've talked a little bit before about the fact that there's an upcoming major overhaul of Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, yeah. that they they have announced they are going to provide VR support. They were kind of wishy-washy on it for a while. They said it was at the top of the wish list, but they weren't going to launch with it. And they're not going to launch with it, but <clears throat> it will be shortly after launch. Uh, but the really trippy thing is it is for the reverb only at least initially i'm assuming because they feel like only the reverb is of the consumer headsets is capable of producing a crisp enough display to read the instruments i don't know what have you guys heard 
Um, but the reasoning is there. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about reasoning, but I've seen some. I've seen some recent like hype about people excited about the Microsoft Flight Simulator, but I hadn't heard that it was going to be reverb only. That's yeah. Uh, an interesting move. It's also reverb is uh, Windows Mixed Reality. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. So that's why it's the, it's the only sure. major one. So it's, it's that, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, the, it's coinciding with the release of the 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 G two, right? Yeah. So you're you're looking at, at just basically a marketing push. That, okay. Yeah, that would absolutely <coughs> be my my best guess. But they, they it doesn't make sense for them to like hold. It behind closed doors for too long. Yeah, they might have some yeah. kind of exclusivity window, but I would wager that they would put it out on Steam VR support probably before someone has to come out with their own kind of hack, fix, patch, workaround. Right. So you, yeah, you actually have to go say... out of your way to lock it down to the reverb. Uh, because if, oh yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it, I imagine it would not take much effort to hack out whatever check it's doing, but uh... yeah, and. I agree. Like they're gonna, what do you think? Three month exclusive? Mm. I don't know. I'm Probably always shocked by how long. long exclusivity lasts for some of these <laughs> yeah. things. So. I don't know, man. Final <laughs> Fantasy not... VII remake is a one year exclusive to PlayStation, so which is yeah, crazy. But yeah, no, I mean, it's it it won't be. I can't imagine they'll they'll lock it down like that. That's that's again that brings back to that previous point I made. You know, Microsoft even is treating this like. VR is not a peripheral technology. They're treating it like, oh, well, we're only going to release it on this platform. No, you're releasing it on Windows, and you're only supporting one one piece of hardware. Like, that's these these are peripherals. If you have a VR headset, you should be able to use the VR mode of any app released on PC. But they keep pretending that they have their own walled garden and their own, you know things on here that are accessible only to their headset or their partnered headsets when they're really not you know they're they're nothing more than glorified displays i think it's going to break down over time i mean you're seeing more and more support on the open xr initiative and exactly it, i mean it's it's only a, a certain amount of time before people realize that this is being artificially imposed exactly and you know push back but uh anybody checked out the the revised design for the Lynx R1. Oh my god, I'm so excited! Oh, <laughs> gosh, that, was, that is a good looking headset. I uh, I really wanted. I haven't seen this. Let me yeah. see. Yeah, you should look. They you know they did the initial announcement last year <coughs> for a, a summer 2020 release, uh, and the Lynx uses some really unusual folded optics where it's it's sort of like a solid block lens that's been poured into a mold and it uses the internal reflections. And it actually has a, a dead spot in the center that they can put the eye tracking optics in. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is very shallow comparatively. Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the big next gen characteristics. Uh, I think kind of like when you, you drop the tether, it's hard to go back. If if you can get it down compact and lightweight, uh, that's going to be very difficult to come back from. So I, I think yeah. that... Whatever they so, can do to get with, that form factor down with folded optics and so forth is just going to happen industry-wide. So for those of you out there that are just listening to us, it, this is like the equivalent of the difference between uh, feeling kind of like you have a, a sneaker on the front of your face uh, <laughs> as kind of the depth of how far off the VR headset typically goes to having like maybe two flip-flops. 
It's it's yeah a half, if not a third of the depth of a, a face mask, basically, that you'll yeah. be wearing, it, rather than what you're normally seeing, which is this giant uh, feeling box that protrudes off the edge of your face. So balancing the weight with with uh, the overall headset, like the okay. the feeling of how the quest ends up being feeling really front heavy over time. Yes. Yeah. Um, you yeah, bring that like weight the back closer. Plate, yeah, it looks like the back plate is kind of heavier too. So yeah, possibly a battery in the back. Right, that makes and, a big and, difference. Uh, and remember, the weight the further the weight goes off of the the point of balance, the the, the more, more of an effect it exactly. has. Exactly. So even if it's denser and even if it's two times in weight, bringing it closer to you is going to make it that much more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do love the, uh, the pass through cameras that they've put on here in this, in this view. Uh, that's really nice. Like it almost looks like I'm looking at the, the exploded view of the front and back and it almost looks like, uh, if you've ever taken apart a peephole camera, a peephole, um, on a door, it has, you know, so you've got the lens on one side and the lens on the other, and it's just a, a tube. It almost looks like it could totally be that. I, I can tell that it's cameras, but um, between that and the eye tracking camera that's dead center, like that's that's got to be pretty good on the latency front. And just to remind people, the the Lynx specs, you're going to have a 90 degree field of view, 1600 by 1600 LCD display per eye. So you're going to have two displays, 90 hertz refresh rate. Uh, IPD adjustment. It's driven by the Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2, so more or less the most recent, latest, cutting edge uh, uh, chipset that's built for the immersive market. It's going to have six gigs of onboard RAM and 128 gigs of storage. Yeah, and to be clear, because it's not participating in one of the major ecosystems, it is a an enterprise focused solution. I mean, the assumption yeah. is that people will be developing custom software for it. It's what, 1500 bucks a, a pop? Yeah. Right. Which puts it solidly in like small business territory, um, but not really a consumer device yet. Although we certainly. Prosumer. Hope, yeah, best, prosumer yeah. certainly. Uh, yeah, because it's that. not, yeah, it's not in a way that far off from the the index. The full yeah, bundle of the true. index is a thousand. So, no, I mean, I mean the only, yeah, cost wise. Yeah, yeah, bad. cost it's, overall. It's the, it's the platform because it. I mean, it's a. This is a standalone head, standalone headset, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so, all in one. I mean, obviously, everything that's built for this will have to be custom built. There's not, you know, there's not a storefront that you'll be able to go and download Beat Saber or something like this. Is, you know, this looks very much. I mean, unless it's using, it's going to be using, you know, a different store. Um, one of the one of the common ones, which I highly doubt. But uh, yeah, it. It's definitely going to be prosumer style. Um, I'm sure you could get custom builds or like hack something together to work with it, but um, yeah, you're going to be looking at it's, well, it's pro like, more pro side. It's, it's like a lot of the uh, the enterprise targeted stuff. Yeah, the, the great hope is that if it proves itself out in the enterprise zone, that uh, that tech will trickle down into consumer devices. Yeah. And certainly, the the much smaller form factor and the central uh, eye trackers are. You know, 
very promising and, and a good step forward. I mean, the, the eventual goal is certainly to have something that is the, the form factor of a pair of sunglasses. Uh, everyone knows that's what they want. It's just a matter of uh, how hard it's going to be to get to that. And you see my, uh, Oculus playing with folded holographic displays and getting quite close to that, but not in a production-ready way. I mean, I think they're only using, you know, green. But, yeah. um, you know, of course, you know, I say that the, the target uh, form factor is a pair of sunglasses. That's certainly the near-term one, but there are people who are looking further ahead and want to eliminate even that and just jack directly into the brain, uh, a la Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> uh, we have at least one prominent businessman who has uh, expressed strong interest and is going to be making some announcements upcoming. Anybody want to talk about it? Me. Uh, I'm doing full dive. <laughs> I'm ready to take all investors right now. <laughs> well, so so obviously Elon Musk yes. is working on Neuralink <laughs> along with just one of his many ventures of changing the world. Um, uh, but I, I think it's been interesting that there's kind of just been a general uptick overall in all this the, this uh, neural interface kind of systems and designs. Uh, not too long ago, Gabe Newell said that they're looking into it. And one of the quotes that he has was, we're closer to the matrix than people think. Uh, what, you know, and then uh, Facebook bought a company that is dealing with that stuff. Um, oh, what was the name of them? I uh, can't quite remember right off the top of my head. Uh, oh, it's uh, Control Labs. Uh, they're they're working on neural interface type stuff, or and Facebook just recently got them. Uh, so I, I just think it's you know it it's kind of a evolution of it. You know, no no telling when when this thing will really become something. Uh, you know, uh, definitely a big push away from it is a lot of people, you know, do not want someone to have that kind of control over their mental faculties. So, you know, that'll definitely be a big push away from it. You know, so I, I, I think it'll, it'll let stuff like VR, AR, any other kinds of form of of entertainment because because really this this starts to encroach on basically every form of media uh you know so i i think it'll it'll still give it that time uh but eventually you know when when people when, when it gets to the point that it's really been proven safe um i i i think you know at that point eventually people will just take it you know and then vr will go away but you know that'll definitely be many many years from now i wonder what the math is from the point of when a technology is invented from when the first person that is trying to be a hacker or uh take over control through illicit means of that technology is because i feel like that this technology, for it to really take off, it needs to have some serious firewalls and se- safety and yeah. security concerns p- 
put in place. Like I would never want this uh, to reach into any kind of network or, you know, be uh, accessible by anywhere in, in quote unquote the cloud, at least not in the first couple decades that we're trying yeah. to understand I how mean, it works. You know right. The temptation will be to just ship everything back to a central point, you know, like they do with, uh, voice searches on Amazon devices and, uh, and Siri. But yeah, no, I mean, the, the potential for abuse is staggering, uh, both at a corporate and a political level. Um, but I mean, even, even if you factor out malice, uh, you've got a neural implant that's, that's, you know, feeding directly into your brain. I mean, imagine a BSOD on your neural implant. What, what right. happens here? Are we inducing a seizure? Are we doing brain damage? Are we, you know, have, have uh, you ever, have you ever heard of a bit flip is where, uh, you have a, a solar event that is strong enough that can actually affect the storage of zeros and ones to the yeah. point where it might import impart enough energy to change a zero to a one. So imagine you're just walking around one day and then something like that happens. Like it's, there's completely uncontrollable events like that, yeah. that could do some, I mean, I, I'm sure they've, they've much smarter people than me have thought of the problems like this, but it raised concerns. Yeah. Right. I mean, as, as much as I love the idea of neural implants, um, and as much as I want the things that that makes, uh, they would make possible, I, I would probably be one of the sort of late adopters. I would be waiting to, to make sure that the technology is mature and the safeguards are in place and so on before deciding to you know, give someone mechanical access to my brain. <laughs> but, uh, but that's, you know, long-term research. This, I don't think even with what, you know, Elon Musk is doing that we're anticipating anything consumer grade anytime in the next couple of decades. But, uh, eventually, definitely, that will be uh, the the ultimate evolution of, of VR. You know, Who, who's getting one when it, when it comes <laughs> out? Not Gen One. <laughs> <laughs> Not an early adopter. I don't know. I've, I I I I might I might you know uh, l- l- looking into it a little bit. Right. Somebody's got to be first, you know. Look, I, I will happily it, let Kevin be first. <laughs> look if it's, if it's windows based it's a no-go right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know william only likes apple products but that being said <laughs> yeah sure. kevin kevin what what stipulations would you have could you if you could just be given you know the keys to the castle so to speak and say these are the things that i need to safe feel like i'm safe and and protected in this process I will be your first gen adapter if you do X, Y, Z. What what would those things be? You know, the so of course the the number one thing for me it was is safety, making sure that there are you know uh, of of course not everything is completely safe, uh, but if if they have enough safeties in place to prevent any hopefully permanent damage um you know and and most likely what we might see is something that kind of uh not takes over but possibly supplements um you know so so maybe almost think of it as like if say you have to close your eyes in order 
for you to see these images because as soon as you open up your your eyes you know your 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 natural functions just kind of overpower it um you know m- m- maybe something like that uh but yeah so so safety uh really just the the, the safety aspect just just to, to make sure that it's not going to completely screw me over as soon yeah, as that, I put it on. That makes that makes total sense, right? Like when you think of this technology when you're trying to do anything with the brain, when you're trying to do any kind of uh, tinkering with it to any any extent, you definitely want to feel safe and secure. So what Eric, if if you could let's say we could make a platform that was secure that was, you know, protected in all ways from outside attackers would that be what sways you or would you need something else yeah i mean if it if it seemed to be physically safe so you know it was guarded against damaging your brain and it was well controlled uh you know avoiding sending out information i didn't want getting sent out and avoiding you know accepting in input from from outside yes i would absolutely do it i love the idea of being able to replace all sensory input, you know, touch, smell, taste, you know, really place you in another environment. That That's, you know, true virtual reality there, and it would be indistinguishable if done right. Uh, how you get, you know, signal level control of every cell in the, you know, relevant parts of the brain uh, and deal with, you know, differences between humans and even, you know, decode what those are doing in a meaningful way to uh, manipulate them. It, those are all huge, huge, huge challenges, but... I would love to be able to, you know, snap a cable in and be somewhere else. Just truly, you know, be indistinguishable from real life. So a curveball question then. If it's indistinguishable, <laughs> what not not the not the common matrix one of how do you know you're not in it right, right, now? right. No. Um how do you address the potential abuse of that? Like not from outside parties but from yourself so your life basically an addiction life is crap and you don't want to live it so you you know you check yourself into a hospital and you know flip on your your virtual life and live out the things the way that you want to or Um, maybe you make more money and and your job that's in the virtual world or maybe you're more successful right like or maybe you just get that dopamine kick that you're looking for or whatever it is. I mean, I, I'm tracking right. what you're saying. Yeah. I, like, I mean, how do you avoid the dystopian future of my life online is better than my life in, in, you know, in the physical realm. So we play devil's advocate it. a little bit. I mean, maybe right. that's not dystopian. Maybe it's utopian. Uh, you know, you've got people living in, in poverty or with you know horrible disabilities and pain if they can snap into an alternate reality, you know, where they're interacting with other people in meaningful ways, but they can, you know, block out the the physical circumstances of their lives. uh, In some ways, maybe that's, that's utopian. You know, it it frees them from that. And I agree. If it's, if it's, if you're escaping, you know, inequalities or, or things that, you know, you can't control. Um, my my concern is more for the everyday person who you know they don't they don't live in poverty they don't have these problems because i i mean i assume at least up to 
you know, for a long while, if you have the ability and finances right. to get a direct neural implant, you're, you're pretty well off. Right. Um, but you know, when everything is digital, when everything is virtual, innovation in the real world kind of stops, doesn't it? And Potentially. so eventually it, it slows to a halt. I mean, Ready Player One paints a pretty bad picture of, of what can happen. And, you know, they bring up a good point, you know, near the end of the book, which is, you know, what do you do when virtually the whole world lives in lives online right enough to the point where you know we already have this is getting kind of uh <laughs> kind of philosophical not philosophical but you know deep but but this brings you know, up we already have like questions. wealth inequality and things like that in the real world and if you if you put people in a situation where they can just check out of real life um we we put ourselves in a position to for it to be worse to where the people in power stay in power. The people who, right. you know, should be, should you know, be fighting against this or, or you know, raising a, a stink about it, are checked out of their real lives and and not, you know, it's, no one votes, no one does anything. Right. Because, it's completely hey. valid. I mean, there was a there was a storyline on Red Dwarf, both on the the show yeah. and then the second book called you know Better Than Life, and you know yeah. they had a, a VR experience that was so much better than life that once people put it on, they just never took it off. I mean, they, yeah. they would starve to death in the headset rather than take it off. Right. So, yeah, I mean, certainly the huge social implications if it, if it becomes good enough that it's allowing people to drop out of society and, and stop engaging with what people are doing in the real world. There's, there's tons of philosophical implications. Oh, like, absolutely. like what, what about an infant that uh, normally wouldn't have progressed in life? But they got a neural interface, and they lived in their entire life only in a digital world. Are they uh, eligible to vote? Are they eligible to run for government? Like, are are they? What kind of impact do they have in the society around them? How how does society work with them and and their medical stuff? Like, there's all sorts yeah. of crazy rabbit holes to chase down, and that's what makes this such an interesting topic, right? To 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 think about where a neural interface would take us. Like we can, we can take it to the nth degree, but we can also understand that in the, the next short baby steps, we will have some amazing um, breakthroughs in medical science. We'll Absolutely. understand more about the brain and how to repair damage that we had no idea about before that. So you know, with every technological in, in innovation, we have the potential to do use it for good or bad. Every tool Absolutely. is tool. agnostic. That's the key word. Yeah. Right. So it's up to us to decide that we want to use it for the betterment. I agree somewhat. And maybe this is a little bit of nihilism from the current state of political and geo affairs and the way that things are. But it is absolutely how you would think it would be. And in a perfect world, it's how we use it. But to some degree, it's not how we use it. It's how the people who control those things decide that we get to use it or decide that it's available to be used. And that's the big thing. You know, it becomes a question of, for me, it's okay. If we can make it better than life, 
should we or should we take some sort of an obligation do we have some sort of obligation to the world around us to not take that final step to not make skynet you know to not take things to that nth degree because what happens when the when we leave the world behind but yeah it's it gets kind of philosophical and deep and there's a lot of ways you can go with that and we could probably start a whole second <laughs> podcast on this discussion um right but yeah no it's 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 just one of those things where it's like man you know we're on the precipice of something and it'll be very interesting to see where it goes in the near future and it's very very interesting to think about you know 10 20 30 40 years from now what Absolutely. does it look like and right. what are what are we looking at so looking a little closer into the future yeah in, uh, in, in the in the meantime uh facebook reality labs uh released a couple of talks fairly long ones uh over an hour from conferences and dropped about four or five uh white papers on the market uh talking about some of the stuff that they're working on in the lab uh and trending towards releasing in headsets um there were three main areas of focus although they touched on quite a lot of things but the one that was really uh, getting the lion's share of the time was verifocal optics. Uh, anybody yes. want to talk about those? Well, you 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 certainly have have talked about this in the in the past at the yeah at the at the VR meetups. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit on on the show yeah. as well with the uh, Half Dome Prototype Two as well. So. Right. Um, but and the uh, y'all were talking about good looking headsets. The the Half Dome Three, yes. that's a that's a pretty slick yes. looking thing to me. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, it's a gorgeous form factor. Um, you know, with verifocal, the the idea is that you know when you when something gets close to you into a, what they call personal space, uh, your eyes cross to bring it into alignment, and your lenses flex to bring it into focus. Uh, VR handles that first part, the, the sort of cross-eyed aspect, perfectly. But it does not do anything with the, the lens flex. Everything is still focused at 20 meters. Even if it's close enough that, you know, uh, it should be in focus and everything behind it should be out of focus. Um, it's one of the subtler depth cues, but it is important to make things feel real. It does feel alien and strange when you hold something up close and your eyes converge, but they don't accommodate. Uh, and you immediately know something's wrong. But... Um, that's that's been a, a big focus for them, haha. <laughs> and uh, they've gone through three different generations of half dome prototypes, which are the prototypes that incorporate this and also wider field of view optics. Um, and they've landed on something you know, starting from a mechanical system that physically moved lenses back and forth, uh, and landing on something that has stacked liquid crystal optics that they can turn on or off to uh, adjust the focus. Uh, the one they showed off was 64 different planes of focus, but they said, you know, add a seventh leaf and you're at 128. It's, you know, how, however many you want, you can do. Um, and and that was, it was uh, six lenses, right? I guess it was six, yes, was the, okay. their, their default that they were showing off. Uh, the, the thing that has changed is they've stopped positioning this as something that is theoretical. It's just pure science uh, plaything. And they've said that it is almost ready for prime time. 
uh, strong implication that hmm. whenever there is a second gen headset, and I'm presuming that does probably does not mean the Quest refresh, but you know, whenever we get a true next gen headset, it's almost guaranteed to be in there. It sounds like they've hammered out all the bugs. Um, nice. The, the talks were kind of cool in that they followed down some of the dead ends that they chased down, like multifocal displays or uh, veriform surfaces and so forth. And, you know, from a pure science point of view, the, the failures were in many ways just as interesting as the successes. Um, and it was nice of them to be fairly open about the thought process that took them down those pathways and where they ran up against reality. Um, but they do seem genuinely happy with where they've landed on Verifocal. Uh, a personal appeal, and I, I know they have a few older people there like Michael Abrash, so hopefully this will be baked in, is um, I've reached the age where I can't focus closer than a certain distance, and I would like a little slider that says, this is as close as I can get, so anything that's closer than that, pretend it was right there. And uh, then the, real, the virtual world will be better than, better than the real world. I won't need bifocals. Yeah, I love the concept of immersive technology solving for imperfections in eyesight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. In theory, you, you should be able to produce uh, a VR headset someday that you know gives you better fidelity than you're getting natively because it can automatically detect and correct for things in your eyes. Um, one of the tricky things is, although it brings a near object into focus, uh, the things behind it don't naturally blur because it only has one plane of focus unless they were doing the multifocal or the the, ver the deformable uh, membranes uh, so what you have to do is programmatically blur whatever should be out of focus and they've discovered that's actually quite a difficult uh, task to replicate because it's not just a, a Gaussian blur there's a very specific way that light blurs when you do that and if you don't mimic that it feels wrong <laughs> And so every time they develop a uh, verifocal solution, they send a, you know, a mathematician in and they spend six months developing the algorithm to produce the proper blur. And then they spend another six months with another team trying to optimize that so it can be run on mobile hardware. Uh, they finally got sick of that. And they said, we need to create a, a general purpose focus managing engine you know, train it up so that you, we optimize it once and then whatever algorithm you feed in is just automatically optimized. It just, you know, is, uh, it takes that three to six months out of the, the process. And so they created what they call deep focus, which they did a lot of machine learning and training. Uh, they also released the, the mechanics of it and the training set for it publicly and said, take this, build on it, learn from it, share it. So they're, they're looking for it to be a, a general purpose solution, but they, they went through some fascinating slides showing different methodologies that have existed until now and the amount of error and the concentration of error where they show up in the images. And um, they appear to have landed on something for their solution that's extremely low error and will, will very closely mimic real life. So they were excited about that. The third, and yeah. Deep, deep focus, like uh, on the surface level, will solve those problems, but being a neural network will only grow with the input of data so that as they solve these base level problems with uh, defocus blur and focal stacks and all these things, they're going to get even better at doing those at runtime or on the fly and 
maybe even implementing those solutions into actual hardware. Absolutely. The, the other tech that they were pushing that was sort of new that they really hadn't discussed publicly, and it was a little harder to assess where that was in their life cycle of prototypes, was uh, high-definition displays, HDR displays. And I'd always kind of wondered, because, I mean, you can buy a consumer television that's HDR. Why, why aren't we doing this with uh, uh, VR headsets? You know, you should be able to produce a, a small panel that does that. And surprisingly to me, the biggest answer was optics. Apparently, the sort of cheap optics that we throw into these headsets utterly destroys that level of contrast and brightness. Uh, and also the Fresnels that they have in most of them pick up strong internal refre reflections after a certain level of brightness. So it just, you know, you can crank up the relative brightness, but then you end up with ghosting all over the place. So the optics were the challenge and optics that worked well with it tended to be too large and too heavy and too expensive. Think of the high end camera lens optics that are preserving contrast and so forth. Uh, they're big, they're expensive, they're heavy. So that was they produced a, a bench prototype where they, they set everything up and they used, you know, direct view and then, you know, various kinds of optics and proved the fact that you absolutely could do it on a headset, but that the challenge was to get the optics down. But after those talks, the team dropped a, uh, a white paper, which you can download for $20, um, that goes into some folded optic solutions, which could solve that for HDR. So, you're seeing folded optics being brought up more and more and more by multiple parties. Um, clearly, there's kind of a, a growing consensus that that's where the next generation is headed. Um, and if they're looking to do things like preserve high definition and high contrast, um, I guess high dynamic range, um, across folded optics, then that's where they're aiming. So uh, I was not as clear on how likely HDR would be to make it into a next gen or whether that's maybe two gens down the road. But it was the first time they were publicly discussing it, which was notable. Uh, whereas with the Verifocal, it, it sounded like they're ready to take that one to the bank. The, the only thing, the big challenge with it is in order for it to work properly, it requires eye tracking, uh, which they've openly acknowledged is absolutely on the, the roadmap and is absolutely critical for a lot of the things they want to do. But uh extremely hard to do for all people in all circumstances there's just too much variation in uh, anatomy and behavior of people's eyes uh they said you can get to you know 98 percent of people fairly quickly and that last two percent is a huge huge battle and unlike say ipd where oh if your eyes are outside of this range yeah it's going to be blurry because you're looking in through the side of the lens but it still mostly works if eye tracking is not properly tracking your eyes, a whole range of things just aren't going to work at all. Uh, foveated rendering is not going to work at all. Um, verifocal optics aren't going to work at all. So the, the holdup on that is absolutely them getting to a, an eye tracking solution that they love. And it, it feels like that's going to be foundational to the second generation if they can even manage it for the second generation. They're desperate to do so. They're trying so incredibly hard to get eye tracking where it needs to be. Uh, it just has not quite made it yet, at least in anything they've shown publicly. Um, it's, it's hard to know whether they'll play it close to the vest um, and sort of spring a, a fully formed eye tracking headset on the world 
ahead of their competitors or whether they'll fess up as soon as they feel like they've got it nailed and and start telegraphing that that's part of their uh their roadmap uh, uh one thing that i i kind of wanted to mention as well is in this talk as they were showing their slides um it was definitely a big thing showing this size comparison between their mechanical yes. variable focus and they're basically what well, well, I'm going to call it a solid state variable focus. Sure. Um, it, it was what it probably what the, the solid state was probably one third the size yes. of, of the mechanical. Uh, so that's definitely a huge, huge thing there's, that's going to help. Tons of reasons that they wanted to move away from the mechanical uh, weight uh, you know, moving parts are, are notoriously prone to breakage, um, cost, and so forth. But um, one thing they did give up, though, with the, the particulars of that uh, verifocal solution is that the first half-done prototype had an extremely wide field of view. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was astonishingly higher. Uh, with Half Dome 3, they still landed on something that was, I believe, a 20% larger field of view. It wasn't what they were hoping for on this huge leap, but he was absolutely determined not to reduce field of view and was hoping to increase field of view while still pursuing the solution. And it sounds like they at least partially landed on that. And then was it the... So another thing they were kind of talking about, but I, I don't quite remember the name of it. Maybe it was the deep focus... Uh, but they were talking about how as as the eye moves, they were looking at different ways of how to get the image into the eye from certain angles, um, you know, because yes. basically implying that, you know, for the most part, uh, obviously, we're trying to stay away from, you know, a headset that completely wraps around your eyes. You know, so if there's a way for them to kind of beam the image into into your eye, even if your eye is looking off to the left or right or up or down from the screen, is it was was that deep focus or was that no? That was uh, that was different. what was the name of that? Oh, geez, I don't remember, unfortunately. But, you know, and, and that was something else that they were talking about, you know, that they were still trying to figure out, you know, th they have possible solutions, but they're trying to figure out what the best possible one might be. They've been um, pretty open about some of their pure science research, stuff that's got a much longer time horizon. And, and I think, you know, you, some of these things that they're, they're showing are in significantly earlier phases of testing. Uh, but... but and, and, and that technology is also something that can help them in creating those, basically the, the sunglass, uh, the, the, the yes. sunglasses form factor, right. uh, because they showed the picture of you, you pretty much have a projector on the arms or of the, of the, right. the glasses, you know, and then, so it shines an image onto the backside of the lens, which then bounces it back right. in, into your eyes. Yeah, they, they seem so, to, to very much land on, in order to get the field of view they wanted, it had to be pupil-steered optics. They needed to, to track the eye. 
uh, because if you made the eye box big enough, then the field of view was very narrow. If you wanted the wide field of view, the eye box had to be very narrow. In order to target that eye box, they had to have really top-notch eye tracking, which seems to be a strong theme. There's so many of the things that they're looking to do and wanting to do that absolutely require 100% uh, solid eye tracking, uh, high quality, high speed, high accuracy. So, but yeah, and and I'm I'm definitely excited for the variable focus lens. Uh, so. Anytime I have messed around with it, I'd say about two feet is pretty much as close as I can get something, you know, in in view within within a virtual space before it starts getting pretty pretty wonky. What, what about what about y'all? Yeah, I'd say somewhere in the range of a foot and a half or so. It depends on what it is like. If you're looking for like text, then uh, it's probably closer, but I mean, probably further out. But um, I don't know. It 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 gets kind of weird. Um, there are a few games like Job Simulator that you run into that kind of frequently, where you're like picking things up to look at what it is, right. especially when you first play. Like new time player or new players for the first time will just like pick up and look at everything in that game. Yeah. Um, and I'm Vacation Simulator pretty Simulator pretty much the same. Um, you know, games where you're there's a lot of interactivity that you run into that a lot, and for the most part, it's not a problem. But uh, what's the one? Um, I expect you to die. Right. There's a lot of instances yes. in I expect you to die where like you're supposed to like grab this thing and like look at uh, you know instructions or like clues to help yeah. you solve the puzzle. And things definitely and run feel into... off when you do that. Yeah. I mean, it's usable. It's not like you can't. You know. Oh, absolutely not. It, and. It does feel nine times strange. out of ten you're playing the game yeah. so much that you're gonna forget about it. Right, I would agree. And and that's that, that's a lot of things. Like a lot of people are like, oh well, I try and not be as critical on a lot of things when it comes to like headsets and 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 things like that. Like a lot of people complained about the screen door effect of yeah. the CV one or the DK two, and I was like, well, I'm usually playing a game. So I don't notice it. Right. Like unless I'm looking for these these. If the content's good enough, yeah, most of those you're other not going to disappear unless they're really obnoxious, like things like right. making you feel motion sick. But I, I agree, and um, yeah, obviously the content has got to to be there, uh, no matter how good the tech is, um, until you get the the killer app, until you get the thing that really makes people excited. Uh, it's not going to take off fully, but. It is exciting to see kind of what they're doing in the lab, where they're headed. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some some similar things out of other companies soon. Yeah. But um, those were the kind of the, the crux of their discussions. Um, so I think that's kind of we're going to wrap it up for the night. Sounds good. All right. Well, everybody stay safe. Uh, do lots of cool things in VR and uh, tell us about them. Yeah. Yes, if you're please. listening, if you're listening and you have an idea for a topic that you want us to cover or you're just like, hey, I need to correct them because they were absolutely wrong about something. <laughs> um, hit us up on uh, Twitter. Eric is pretty much our, our Twitter presence there at Houston VR, all one word. Um, or go to the website and send us a little contact. You know, let us know what's up. Um, we love to hear from y'all and find out, you know, what y'all want to hear. We we try and give a variety of different things. But uh, if there's anything y'all specifically want to know about, you know, give us a Absolutely. shout out. Absolutely. Until next time. Yep.
See ya. See ya. See ya, everyone. Adios. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. If you liked it, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. It helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find. If you'd like to support Houston VR and this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash Houston VR. Until next time, thanks for listening.